0: Now, all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody.
1: Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Patrick Woody is with us, and he spells it a strange way. Um, <laughs> because I, I came from Bessemer City, North Carolina, and we had Woodies, and they spelled it W O O D Y. Now, this guy has been misinformed, and he spells it W O O D I E. But anyway, that's. Right. <laughs> that's
2: that, so that's the correct spell? That is the correct spell. Well, I know, but uh, you're, you're
1: misinformed. But <laughs> or, at least,
2: or at least for my small family from northwestern North Carolina, that's the way we spell it.
1: So there's more Woodies up
2: there. There, there are, okay. a few few of us.
1: Well, Patrick uh, serves as president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. And uh, Patrick, before we go too much further, let's talk about what the, the mission of the rural economic development center
2: is well we and our uh, the words economic development are in the the name of the rural center and and so everything that we do is really around approving improving the local economy for rural communities Uh, our focus is on improving the quality of life of the people that live in rural north carolina and the communities that they call home
1: and that involves more than just getting jobs, uh, it does. although
2: that is a big uh, big part of it. We take a very comprehensive view of what uh, what amounts to economic development. It's not only about uh, job creation, and job creation is not only about trying to recruit new businesses in. It's about trying to support the businesses that are already there and create a climate in, under which they can grow. It's also encouraging new startups through entrepreneurship. But beyond that, you know, we're, we're very interested in moving the needle, getting higher educational attainment rates for all of our people, both our adult labor force and our, our kids as they grow up. Uh, so from a workforce development standpoint, it's really important that we increase educational attainment for all of our citizens and that we get more citizens kind of tuned in to how rapidly things change in our world today and the need uh, for lifelong learning you
1: basically i've been told that we have 20 counties that are not classified as rural counties and we have 80
2: that are That's, what is the definition of a so, rural county so we uh, we take a very simple uh, approach to what we think is the most important defining char- characteristic of and uh, what makes a um, a county rural or not rural and it's and our definition is based upon population density so the 80 counties that we focus our work on all have population densities of less than 250 people per square mile. Um, And it's correct, there are 20 non-rural counties, uh, 14 of them we call either regional city or suburban counties. They have densities greater than 250 but less than 750. And then there are six core urban counties in North Carolina under our framework uh, definition. All of those six uh, have population densities well over 750 people per square mile. And that would
1: include like Wake and Mecklenburg. Wake, uh, Mecklenburg, New Hanover,
2: uh, Forsyth, Guilford.
1: And you do it per square mile, so uh, a large uh, uh, geographic county, for example, that may keep them as being rural because they have so many miles.
2: That's right. Johnson County is a good example of that. It's a very large county. Uh, The Mm -hmm. Part of it that's next to Wake uh, is suburbanizing rapidly, and, and but other parts of Wake, uh, Johnston County, further away, still look pretty rural.
1: Well, you know, for years we've always uh, teasingly said that, that Kerry is a containment area for relocated Yankees. And
2: Clayton is the Kerry like area Yankees He's try out next. next. Right. <laughs> uh, and, you know,
1: the, the, uh, I hope all the Yankees take this uh, the way we mean. it. That's because, exactly right. Because we love our Yankees.
2: That's, that's true. We do. Uh, you know, it's a great compliment to our state. Um, how many people have been attracted to, to, to move to this state, to put down roots, to create lives, raise families, invest. Um, and so that's a great compliment to our state. And, and many uh, newcomers are finding their way even to, into some of the most rural places in this state. It's not just an urban thing. But what it is, I think, the most important defining characteristic of North Carolina right now, uh, if you look at the population as a whole – Uh, 48% of the people that live in North Carolina today, the adults, were not born in the state of North Carolina. That is a huge transition over the 30 years that the Rural Center has been around. When we opened our doors in 1987, North Carolina was in the top three states for the highest percentage of native-born population. Fast forward 32 years and nearly half of the adult population that lives in North Carolina today was not born in the state of North Carolina. 42% 42% of our rural adult population was not born in the state of North Carolina.
1: That's uh, incredible. And, you know, another part of this that we haven't talked about is the fact that uh, we have so many people now that look at North Carolina as a retirement state.
2: Absolutely. Uh, there is a, a definitely a market for that. We have some high amenity counties both in western North Carolina and in eastern North Carolina. Yeah that are rural, uh, predominantly rural, is um, and some extremely rural, uh, that has a strong market for retirees.
1: I rode in the elevator this morning with a, a lady, and I, this program is being pre-recorded, so I'll mention that. Uh, so it was nippy outside. Right. And I said, you know, it's a little nippy. And she says, I'm from Michigan. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> I moved here from Michigan. I think this is great. Yeah, it's in the eye of, of yeah, the beholder, that's I That's exactly right. So – uh, well, it, it's interesting. The other thing that's so interesting about North Carolina is the population difference between some of our counties. Yeah. A lot of states are a little bit more homogenous than we are. And, and right. uh, uh, for example, we've got some counties that have less than four thousand people in the whole county. We
2: have some very small uh, yeah. counties where that population density—that you know, two hundred fifty. Yeah. People per square mile would be a big crowd. Um, The density is a lot lower than that.
1: And you came from Allegheny County, which is – Fifth smallest county in the state. And what's the population of Allegheny? 11,000. 11,000. Yeah.
2: It's, so, and, you know, it's grown by about 1,000 people over the last 20 years. So,
1: so you are, you know, you, and you were on the County Board of Commissioners up there I at one did, time. Yeah. So uh, what are the challenges of these small counties as far as just governance? I mean, you know, first of all, well, there's not as many people to serve.
2: I think the, ch- the, the challenges we face in in rural development in general can, can be summarized, I think of them, in, in really three ways. And, and a lot of our work really revolves around how do we address... Uh, Leadership challenge, so we constantly need to be renewing and strengthening our leadership base at a community level. So we invest a lot of our time and effort in building leaders uh, in rural communities. Uh, But how healthy, how vibrant that leadership uh, base is in, in a community is going to have a lot to do with how well that community is doing economically. Second challenge for us is really capacity. And when you are small, you face challenges of, um, of, of really having the organizational capacity to carry out a lot of uh, the activities and the work that needs to be done. And, and that's, a, that's a heavy lift for uh, local government. Uh, it can, and, and for other community-based organizations. Uh, so we encourage greatly re, uh, more regional collaboration, people getting outside of their county box or just their community box and working with their neighbors, working across county lines, working across a region to really uh, pull to, together and to pull in the same direction. And the third big area is just economies of scale um, because of that lower density. When it comes to things like water and sewer infrastructure, when it comes to things like building public schools, um, we run up against just basic challenges of scale. And so we have to be creative in how we deal with that, and and it's um, – uh, it's it's a challenging environment. I always say rural economic development is a lot harder than urban economic
1: <laughs> development. Well, I think it's so because we we see this in in radio broadcasting. Uh, lines are so funny because you look at two counties and you say these these counties have similar lifestyles and and so forth. And yet the radio listing habits in each county will Can be, be remarkably radically different. different. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned two counties, Wilson and and Nash County. Uh Side-by-sides appear to be pretty similar, about the same distance from Raleigh. Both of them have – you know, uh, Wilson is in uh, Wilson County and and, uh, Rocky Mount uh, is in Nash County. So you think they're pretty similar. Right. The radio listening habits in those two counties are decisively different.
2: That doesn't surprise me. We we certainly, over the years that we've been in this work, we know – Uh, We know those differences on the ground community by community, and and we're just right now uh, holding a series of business roundtables where we're meeting with small business owners uh, in several small towns around the state, and the personality, the the things that are on their mind, how good or how bad they feel about how things are going locally – very greatly as you move across um, the geography of North Carolina. And
1: I think we also, from time to time, let our pride get in our way of, of reality. Uh, you know, we we are all proud of our community, our town. We our all county. love our place. It, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, And, and w- one of the things we say all the time to communities is, you know, the uh, people often refer jokingly to living in the middle of nowhere and you know our response to that is always you know it's not the middle of the nowhere it's it's the center of the universe for yeah, you yes
1: well I, I have a friend who lives in a very small town in a very small county and, and i he teasingly says uh, you know and i won't name the town he'll say uh centerville is uh it's not at the end of the world, but you've got a really good view on it from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and he said, I grew can, up in a place like that, said, so I understand that. You can that. see it pretty well from here. Yeah. Uh, well, it is interesting, and, and, and yet, you know, uh, and this is what I'd like to kind of close out this county. Why is the development of rural counties so important to those 20 counties that are not rural?
2: Well, it, our economy is very integrated in this state, and um, th- there are ways in which we are interconnected that maybe aren't. I think were really obvious to us uh, 25-30 years ago and there was a time when we truly were a state of city cousins and country cousins and and most of the um, leaders of the major corporations in the state, most of the political leaders we've had over time have had Uh, either personal um, uh, deep roots themselves in rural communities or family that is still very connected to rural areas. That has changed a whole lot in our state. What hasn't changed is is the interconnectedness uh, from and it shows up so uh, apparently um, um, and we've got to be really aware of how we share water resources. Yes. Uh, the water's not where the people live. No, the, line, is. the water
1: doesn't stop at a line.
2: That's right. Uh, other area, health care systems, and, and you just look at how uh, this consolidation within the healthcare care industry is leading to our populations being served a lot of times by urban-based health, large health care systems uh, and food. Um, Foods produced in rural North Carolina you know yes. to and not to say that there's not any produced in urban North Carolina It certainly is but you know uh, rural North Carolina is an urban powerhouse.
1: Patrick Woody is our guest and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers makers right after these messages
2: I can help the next customer over here oh thank you Hi. wow that's
0: a lot of books let's see how to keep your child safe child proofing your home child proofing your yard. Childproofing your in laws home and yard. Well, I'm guessing you have a little one at home.
2: Yeah. Well, it looks like you must take good care of her. Oh,
0: thank you. Now let's see. Parents' Guide to Safe Toys. That's a really good one. Parents' Guide to Safe Foods. Parents' Guide to Safe Safety Products. Parents' Guide to Parenting Guides. Don't Throw the Baby Out with the Bathwater and Other Safety Tips.
2: Of all guys. the things you can read about keeping your child safe, the most important is attached to the back of their car seat. Read the instruction manual and learn to use the latch system. It makes it easier to be sure your child's car seat is installed correctly. Parents guide to telling other parents
0: how to raise their kids.
2: To learn more, go to safercar.gov. Anchor, tether, latch. The next generation of child safety. A message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council.
0: You are one smart office worker. You got the ergonomic chair, the wrist thing for your computer. But what about your eyes? Oh, yeah, you're on it. You get up from your workstation every 20 minutes or so to get coffee, take a stroll, avoid a phone call, whatever. And just by doing that, you're giving your eyes the rest they need from the strain of computer glare. Man, you're good. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back with the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center, and that would be Patrick Woody and his, we've commented, he doesn't know how to spell his last name, but other than that, he's a fine fellow and doing a a really important job for the state of North Carolina. So the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center, where where does the funding come from? We're
2: funding from a variety of sources. Uh, We do a lot of business lending activity, and so that, uh, uh, that, Perpetua- you know, That is self-perpetuating. It's evergreen, and it fuels uh, a good chunk of our operations. We're very fortunate in that regard. Uh, we have federal funders. Uh, we have um, foundation, uh, corporate support, and individuals. Uh, so it's a, a very uh, broad um, cross-section of, of, of funding that supports the work we do at the Rural Center. We,
1: we were talking about uh, the fact that it's so much more than – just creating jobs but yet all the other things uh, play into jobs because if you're creating outside or looking for outside uh, uh, industry or or, or employers to move in they are very concerned about the lifestyle of their employees.
2: Yeah it's a lot about quality of life and and what what we find um, and we've spent a lot of very intentional time in every rural county in this state and and the small towns that are in those rural counties there are 415 Uh, municipalities in the 80 counties that we serve. So in in, uh, North Carolina remains a state of small and very small um, towns. Those that um, are really thriving, uh, and we do certainly see thriving rural places, are places uh, that really are being quite deliberate about what I would call the placemaking, uh, the quality of life aspects of making that community attractive for the people who are already there and newcomers who might decide to sink down roots there. One trend that we're watching very closely, we we read a lot and we, we tend to hear a lot and talk a lot about a rural brain drain that young people go away when they graduate from high school and what we are – and that's true. And, and I would also submit that suburban communities and urban communities also lose their young people uh, in terms of not staying exactly where they spent the first 18 years of their lives. Uh, I think that's part of growing up and, and, and discovering the world. But what we are noticing is that um, over half of our rural counties are seeing a net increase in 30- to 40-year-olds that's very encouraging to us and and these are these are people that are be, you know beginning to have families begin to have children maybe it's a a, a a prospect of getting closer to their parents now the, the grandparents is going to help with child care and help raise those kids but there a lot of people are looking for that place where they're going to raise their family and for some rural North Carolina is going to be a good choice and for those places that are really consciously thinking about that placemaking quality of life Um, aspect, uh, they're going to find that uh, they do pretty well in the future.
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, many, many, many people will find living in small communities or smaller communities, let me put it that way, not necessarily small communities, find them very charming. Right. And an ideal uh, ideal place to raise a family. Some people say, I want to get away from crime. Unfortunately, crime is a problem, even in the rural county. So are you working on... Uh, on crime and and the elimination of crime in these rural well, the,
2: the biggest area of concern for us when it comes to you know worrying about crime statistics and and other things is the the, uh, the opioid epidemic. Yes. it's pervasive. It is uh, truly um, um, a, a scary uh, phenomenon, and it does not affect um, only rural communities. It affects uh, all of our society. Suburban urban areas also are are really being hit hard by this epidemic. North Carolina is being hit um, uh, as hard as a lot of other states around the country. Uh, so we, that is something we care a great deal about. And, and it comes back to uh, do people have employment? Do people have um, adequate health care coverage? And we know there are 600,000 adults in the state of North Carolina that do not have any kind of health care coverage. And there, there's a big gap in coverage that creates a lot of uh, problems that leads to um, uh, some of the drug abuse um, uh, and the, um, the, the poor um, um, uh, crime statistics that you're referring to.
1: Is there a higher percentage of uninsured in, in uh, rural areas than there
2: is? In the there is. Oh, okay. um, there, there, Certainly you will find uh, too many uninsured in every place in the state, but there is a higher percentage of that, that total uninsured that do reside in the 80 rural counties. And it destabilizes the health systems that exist in those rural communities. Uh, what is totally un- unsustainable about our health care system r- right now today is the volume of charitable care that is being delivered uh, by uh, health systems, uh, free clinics, uh, wh- whatever the entity might be, they cannot sustain the volume of free care that they're delivering. This is an issue we've really got to come to terms with as a state. Another
1: problem has and always will be, I think, a problem that uh, we have to worry about. There are some There are some solutions to this, but... Uh, Basically doctors, uh, because they are interested in their craft, want to be close to a hospital because they right. know it helps them carry out their duties. Yeah. Well, that means that uh, there's areas that don't have big hospitals. or Don't have d- physicians. Don't have physicians. That's right. Because the doctors, you know, they're looking – it's not an economic thing. It's, it's They actually probably could make more money <laughs> in some of the smaller towns. But they do like to have access to the labs and the hospitals uh, that can provide services for their patients that they can't provide themselves. That's
2: right. And, th- and this is one reason why uh, one of our major – priorities is to uh, bring robust broadband to every rural community in the state of North Carolina, and we're not where we need to be. From the standpoint of both workforce development, whether it's our K-12 public school systems, or it's our community colleges, or it's trying to uh, help the adult workforce upgrade their skills, if it's health care and trying to help older folks age in place and stay in their homes and be able to be monitored from their homes and have less uh, inconvenience uh, because of where they might live, broadband is essential to being able to uh, to do these things. And, and uh, telehealth is going to be incredibly important to our rural population moving forward in terms of how services get delivered um, closer to home in a less disruptive way. Um, and we've, we've got a lot of work to do.
1: Broadband, uh, what's the, how much money do we need to complete the broadband and where does that money come from?
2: Well, it, the federal government has a number of programs that um, we don't think are, work as, are as targeted as they should be or work as well as they do, but there's an, an enormous amount of money that's being appropriated every year to try to solve the rural broadband gap uh, problem. Uh, they're now looking at a federal level at really streamlining some of that, bringing it under a single umbrella so that uh, it will be more efficient than it has been in the past. We also think the state has a role, and we applaud efforts by uh, Senator Harry Brown um, and Representative Dean Arp in the last session of the General Assembly. Uh, They co-sponsored, and it passed and was funded at the the level of $10 million uh, for um, a state-based grants program. Uh, The bottom line is the only way we're going to fill in the gaps that exist across rural North Carolina is we've got to be willing to subsidize the cost of getting that infrastructure there. what is that cost? I I don't know the per mile cost off the top of my head, and it's going to be different in western North Carolina than it is in eastern North Carolina. But we've got to be willing to subsidize the cost of extending that infrastructure. We've got to be willing to encourage public-private partnerships. Our local government should be able to leverage their assets to get private Internet service providers interested in their communities and help those ISPs then buy down the total cost of what it takes to get last mile service to every house and every business in, in rural North Carolina. We've got some rural places in the state that are extremely well served and by and large the best served places are where there is a local telephone cooperative or a um, a rural electric cooperative. Uh, those uh, two types of entities in particular are going to be really play critical roles in helping us get everywhere else we need to be. So. Um... That, just one interesting note, for that $10 million that I mentioned that was appropriated by the state last year, uh, the state broadband office just took applications. They had uh, over um, 90 providers that showed up at, at the rural center. Actually, they did the rollout of the program at the, at the North Carolina Rural Center uh, this past fall. They just took applications, and they have about $20 million worth of applications for $10 million in funding. Uh, That's really good. Uh, Now we need to, to, you know, that will help us make the case to going back, getting more money appropriated to go back and do more of these very targeted going into the areas that need it the most.
1: Do you keep up with this by, uh, by underserved miles or by underserved population?
2: Underserved populations. And uh, so,
1: what? How many people are underserved?
2: Uh, roughly? They're um, prop. Oh gosh, I I don't know a number off the top of my head, but. Um, I don't so like to
1: embarrass let you me with just, asking questions. Well, let that me you just
2: give you a sense. So, the FCC produces maps yeah. of broadband yeah. coverage uh, for every state in the country, and if you look at the FCC broadband map for North Carolina, it will say that ninety three percent of the households in the state of North Carolina have access to high-speed internet and we know for a fact that that is not worth the paper it's printed on and the reason being it is self-reported data it's reported by the providers themselves and if one household in a census tract has high-speed broadband then every household in that census tract is counted as if it does as well And that's not reality. So I would say that 93% number of households, we're probably a a lot closer to 50%. Interesting.
1: Patrick Woody is our guest. He's the president of the uh, North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. And we'll be back with more with Patrick right after these messages. My memory is shot. My
2: legs feel like lead. Every muscle in my body is screaming. So why does everyone think the problem is in my head? Chronic fatigue syndrome can be as isolating as it is debilitating, especially when those around you don't understand what you're going through. If you're experiencing extreme exhaustion coupled with difficulty sleeping and concentrating, body pain and flu-like symptoms, you could have chronic fatigue syndrome. But you're not alone. More than 4 million Americans suffer from CFS, and most of them don't even know they have it. Log on to www.cdc.gov cfs for the latest
0: research and guidance on diagnosis and management. That's www.cdc.gov
2: cfs. Get informed. Get diagnosed. Get help. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services,
0: Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
2: Guard serves in every community across the United States. They give a lot of themselves to defend our country. But serving does a lot for them, too. It's an extra paycheck, money for college, and they get the skills to build a civilian career. I'm Laura Brina. See what you can do for your country, your community, and yourself. Be a hometown hero. Call 1-800-TO-GO-ANG or visit GOANG.com.
0: Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers.
1: Our guest this week is Patrick Whitty, who's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. And We've talked about all sorts of things that uh, affect the 80 counties that uh, in North Carolina that are recognized as being rural. You know, one of the things, and I've asked this question to a number of people, and I've never really gotten a great answer, so we'll see what Patrick says. <laughs> you know, North Carolina has 100 counties. That's, right. a, that's a round number. Yeah, and yet, you look at the map, and it just looks like it just sort of happened. I mean, you know, it doesn't look like there was any uh, effort to keep it at a hundred or even get it to a hundred.
2: Well, the best explanation that I've always heard that I think holds some water, having spent uh, a lot of time in every nook and cranny of this state, uh, I kind of understand the drive times between county seats and uh, how you, how you move around in this state, and the story that I've often heard uh, that I think bears some um, uh, truth in it is, um, is is county seats are about a day's uh, wagon ride or horse ride right away. F- from yeah. each yeah. other. And, uh, you know, that's how our state developed and that's the, the time in which our state developed. I think if we were laying out a, a new state in a modern age, we wouldn't have a hundred counties probably.
1: Well, well, so many of the counties in the east were based upon uh, a uh, where the depot was for the trains, and they right. they were uh, a train could uh, travel thirty miles without taking on water, and, and that's how they got so sort of separated. And
2: this leads to I think a really important point in our work: uh, towns that have grown up across. And I mentioned four hundred fifteen yeah. municipalities in the eighty rural counties, and there's five hundred and thirty some in the state as a whole. Um, Towns exist for an economic reason, so they developed, they grew up for an economic reason. Well, our economy has transitioned dramatically, uh, and it's, we've been through many um, cycles uh, of, of reinventing ourselves um, uh, from an economic standpoint from the days of early settlement of North Carolina until today. And I think one of the things that really creates this challenging environment for so many of these small towns is the fact that you know the the economic way of life for why those places really uh, grew and developed that that held for all most of the 20th century, um, and then really beginning began to take a hit in the early part of the 21st century is the economic reason for the existence of those places has really transitioned. Some have navigated that transition much better than others. Some have quite honestly been in a position to navigate that transition better. Um, But there's nothing inherently wrong with um, finding yourself as a small town in a place where the economic reason you were created may not exist anymore.
1: We mentioned earlier, you gave us definitions of what, uh, and it's based on how, the population density per, per square mile. Uh, but you've got a number of counties in North Carolina that uh, you now call transitional because we said there were 20 uh, uh, metropolitan counties or right. suburban counties and and, and and 80 that are called rural but you've got a number of counties that are right on the lip of, of changing.
2: Yes, you do. And we fully expect, with the 2020 census that'll be coming up in a couple of years, that we're, we probably will see those numbers change for us. Uh, five of the fastest growing counties in the state of North Carolina right now are rural counties. And one of those five, uh, just out of curiosity Brunswick, uh, Pender. Uh, which are down around Wilmington, yep. around New Hanover County. I believe Chatham is one of yep. of them. Um, I believe Johnston uh, is one of them. Um, that's at least four of of the five. Uh, so um, we have some rapidly growing yep. rural yep. places in the state. 32, just for – and and I think it really makes us a stronger um, state economically than we would otherwise be. Our our urban population is less dense than the urban population in a lot of other states. And we're fortunate in this state that we have this – what we would call the urban suburban crescent that kind of spreads across the middle of North Carolina going from Charlotte up through the Piedmont Triad and over to the Triangle. And then we have some pretty large cities like Asheville, like um, uh, Fayetteville, like uh, Greenville, uh, Wilmington, that also were dotted around our landscape. 33 of the counties we serve, or the 80 counties we serve, are, are part of metropolitan service areas. So those 33 counties, their local economy is much more regionally oriented toward where that metropolitan hub is.
1: And they don't have the same problems. They, they don't, don't have the, the
2: same problems. That's exactly right, and which brings me back to the our biggest point of all when it comes to rural economic development. One size does not fit all. And geography really matters in this state.
1: Well, it is interesting how uh, – uh, location of a county. And you know, the other thing that's interesting is to take a city and draw a 100 mile circle and see what's in its circle. Right. Uh, and uh, how far away they are. Uh, uh, I know in Morgan to North Carolina, they've got a uh, really nice auditorium that brings in top flight acts and mm-hmm. things. Well, if you look at it, it's far enough away from the metropolitan areas, and yet you don't think of it right. as being isolated.
2: I'm glad you mentioned Morganton because it's just one of the stories that that we've been watching closely that we think is a rural game changer. Um, I just met with a group from Morganton that are focused on uh, in 20, uh, next fall, uh, they will open a new western campus of the North Carolina School of Science and Math. High school, um, high school students uh, that will be uh, it's a companion, uh, the Western Campus of the school that is now located in Durham. It's uh, uh, even though it's a high school, it's part of the University of North Carolina system. Um, and uh, the now how s- was
1: Mor- why, why, why was Morgan selected?
2: Well, it probably had something to do with some uh, key legislators that <laughs> wanted it to be in, in, that were real champions of the idea that wanted it to to be in in their community. Uh, It's a great choice, um, a a very rural town. How that school is going to connect with that community and and the broader uh, rural region around it is going to be a great thing um, to watch.
1: Now, uh, the other problem that we have is when we have uh, natural emergencies and uh, weather conditions such as hurricanes and floods and things of that nature, tornadoes and bad weather, uh, ice storms and so forth the smaller counties are not as well equipped to handle these as right. the larger counties so yeah. is that a part of your work also it is
2: a part of our work we uh, our particular part of disaster recovery is we focus on small business recovery so when we have a natural disaster in the state and and most recently it is the flooding of eastern north carolina caused by hurricane florence and hurricane matthew before We really ramp up our small business uh, development programs to focus on helping the small businesses recover. Now, There's all kinds of other resources, and and we certainly try to be knowledgeable, and we help our rural communities find resources, whether it's for families and individuals or nonprofits or or what the particular need might be. But we try to focus on helping uh, the small business community recover. Uh, We do two types of um, uh, loans. One is a bridge loan. It's actually zero interest, uh, up to six months, no payments, no interest. And it's intended to get that business from the time of the impact of the of the event uh, to the point that they have insurance proceeds, FEMA assistance, uh, help from SBA's Small Business Administration, um, or other resources. Then we do. And we know that there will be gaps. Uh, there will be businesses that won't be helped by FEMA. That won't uh, SBA won't be a good solution for them. So we do longer-term, uh, uh, what we call uh, recovery resiliency loans, uh, up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to the small businesses to help them really get back on their feet and back on track. We're heavily involved in in that. We've we've. Uh, done about two and a half million dollars worth of, of lending to small businesses uh, as a result of Hurricane Florence. Uh, that's a, a permanent part of, of our focus at Thread Capital. Thread Capital is our small business lending subsidiary of, of the Rural Center. And uh, I don't have to, in the immediate, you know, natural disasters bring a, a lot of intense focus in the immediate aftermath of the storm and then. Uh, people and, and qu- tend to quit paying attention, except for the people that are living it every day uh, day of their lives. And uh, you know, I worry, uh, for example, that everybody in the state doesn't fully appreciate how how much devastation, uh, particularly the places in eastern North Carolina that were hit twice by Matthew and by Florence, how devastating an event that is. And you're you're looking at a decade of recovery mm-hmm. and more uh, and i also think there's not uh, the the degree of understanding that i wish there was of just how hard a hit north carolina agriculture took last yes. fall it could not have come at a worse time for our farmers yeah.
1: well you know i was talking to the agriculture commissioner and he's he basically said you know too much rain or too much water is a bigger problem than not enough. Right. So we can always bring in
2: water, but we can't cut it off. Well, that's a good observation.
1: Yeah. And he said, you know, this that was uh, uh, the, the problem with having uh, – Uh, a a wet season and then having flooding on top of that has been devastating to the farming community. Um, You know, the other interesting thing about North Carolina is infrastructure because it's a two-sided problem on many areas. We have aging infrastructure in the smaller counties and not enough money to take care of it, and yet the growth counties are also... Uh, having to fund uh, expansion. growth
2: expansion. Right. So this is, that's a double debt problem. It is. Um, and when it comes to just water and sewer infrastructure in the state, we have about a $17 billion need across the state. Uh, the, uh,
1: I believe that was with a B, wasn't it? With a B,
2: yeah. yes. Um, $17 and,
1: billion.
2: and I mentioned the kind of the economic transition that most of our rural communities have experienced. And what that has meant is so the, a lot of those t- small towns developed water and sewer infrastructure to meet the needs of their local citizens, but also to serve the major industries that were there. And in the past, at least going back to the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, um, into the 90s, you know, those, they had some pretty big water and sewer customers that uh, probably in the early 2000s, uh, several of them went away. Uh, maybe all of them went away. Which totally changes the, the, the funding, uh, the funding yeah. dynamic of how that system is going to sustain itself. Yeah. Um, and w- we have a great uh, water and sewer office within the Department of Environmental Quality that really understands the needs of these small systems. We are fortunate in North Carolina that we have the local government commission that's located in the state treasurer's office that also uh, has a lot of understanding of how to help these small towns adjust.
1: We've got one more segment of uh, Carolina Newsmakers coming up, and we'll do that right after these messages. Some teens have trouble just making it to graduation.
0: Like my brother, I was raising him. I was taking care of him when I was three, four years old. There was no possible way for me to come home, watch the kids, give them a bath, then cook dinner for everybody, and clean, and still get my homework done. Yeah. So I'd probably say with yeah. you because there's so many kids that yeah. you have to you have to grow up at, real at fast, a young age, real yeah. fast. Yeah. Because I mean. If there's nobody there to do it, you got to do it. Like she said, you can walk down the hallway and see me. I just have a smile on my face. On the inside, I'm, like, really, really crying. I'm hurting because, like, mm-hmm. well, how can I manage to do all this at such a young age? So it's a mind thing. You have to have your mindset that, hey, if this is what you want to do, go for it. Find some more support and do what you have to do. Hopefully, I'll be able to study and be able to get my stuff done, but just not knowing what's going to happen in the future, that's what scares me. That I'm hoping that I'll be able to maintain my grades and... Stay
2: in school. Give your friends the boost they need to graduate. Go to boostup.org and send a message in your own words. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council.
0: When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's disease research. 1-800-437-2423. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Patrick Woody is our guest. He's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. We've had a really great discussion today. If you missed part of the broadcast, you may want to go back and listen to... uh, the program again it's available on carolinanewsmakers.com uh, and also we have a number of stations that carry a 30-minute version of this program and there are two segments that you miss so if you'd like to hear those you can also get those on Newsmakers.com. patrick whitty is our guest he's the president of the north carolina rural economic development center and we've talked about all sorts of interesting things today. And, Patrick, you've got uh, the year ahead. So let's yeah. talk about what your goals are for your organization. We've talked about all the things that you do. But what are your particular goals for this year? And then how does the General Assembly and, and Congress, uh, with their uh, sessions that will – Maybe provide some funding for this. What are your agendas for dealing with those
2: bodies? Well, we've uh, we've spent a lot of time over the last year uh, traveling the state, spending time with over two thousand leaders in rural communities all across the state to develop what are our priority issues. What are the what are the um, what are the top priorities that rise to the top? Uh, of the rural agenda, really regardless of, of where you may be located in the state of North Carolina. And we found remarkable consensus among the leadership that we've interacted with and that, that we've engaged uh, over the last year. Our number one priority is rural broadband. Um, and because we believe it undergrids so much else that has to happen for rural communities to – Uh, um, to be able to create that better quality of life for their citizens. Um, and so we're going to be advocating for the continuation and the expansion of the state-based grants program that was started uh, last year with the support of Senator Brown and Representative Arp. We're going to be advocating to uh, the Department of Transportation that we uh, adopt, and I know the Secretary is very supportive of this, a dig once policy. If we're moving dirt to build road or to lay a water and sewer line, let's put fiber in the ground while we're doing it. Um, that's uh, uh, extremely important. Uh, second big priority for us is closing the health insurance coverage gap. We've got uh, up to 10 uh, rural hospitals in the state of North Carolina that really are on the bubble. Uh, that are, in, are are threatened in terms of their economic future, uh, being able to keep their doors, doors open. We cannot continue to sustain the level of charitable care that's being delivered to the citizens of North Carolina who are not covered by health insurance. There's lots of different ways that that might be, that that gap might be closed, and we're open to the conversation for, for all of them, whether it's full-blown Medicaid expansion, or it's some state-based solution that, sh- that comes short of that, we want to see that coverage gap significantly addressed and, and shrunk. Third big issue for us is we think too much of the economic development conversation at a statewide level that happens in the General Assembly is all about recruitment. And, and we, we want North Carolina to be good at recruitment, and we are. Um, but we can't stop with that one strategy. That's only one strategy for job creation. We've got to do better as a state of, of supporting the existing businesses that are already located in our communities, understanding what it is that they need in order to hire more people and create more investment locally. And we've got to do a better job of encouraging more businesses start, to start up and encouraging that those that do start have a higher likelihood of success. And that, those are things we can yep. really move the needle on. Well, one of the space. things that is
1: infinitely unfair, and uh, you know, there there are pros and cons of tax incentives for job creation, okay. But one of the totally unfair parts of it is if I'm making widgets, and I've been making widgets in Bessemer City, North Carolina for a hundred years and been paying taxes and so forth, and a new widget company comes in and they give them tax advantages. That's, that's basically not fair. Uh, now, you can look at it and say, well, it creates jobs and that's good for the economy, but it's not fair to the existing businesses.
2: But, but there's, a, I think, a strong argument to be made that we've got to, uh, that we have a responsibility to do a better job of servicing and taking care of our existing businesses.
1: Now, uh, the other thing that, of course, that uh, is so helpful to North Carolina is we do have a great community college system, and this helps a lot.
2: The, the community college system of North Carolina, I, I say this all the time, and we b- truly believe, is I think we put a great deal of value on it as a state. I still think we don't value it enough. It is the most undervalued uh, asset that we have uh, in the state of North Carolina. Uh, I went to an event two days ago where uh, My Future NC, which was a – uh, um, a, a workforce development commission of the university system, the community college system, and also our independent colleges and universities. We have 36 independent colleges and university and 26 of them are rural uh, so um, that's a very also a very important part of the pipeline uh, but uh, and their goal is to uh, have 2 million Uh, individuals between 25 and 44 years of age in the state of North Carolina that have greater than a high school uh, credential. We've got to move the needle upward in terms of the educational attainment of our of our workforce at all ages and the community college system plays an incredibly important role and how we go about doing that and getting those numbers way above. We're around about 50% now uh, of our population that has that uh, beyond a high school education credential. It doesn't have to be a four-year degree. It may be an associate's degree. It may be an industry uh, certification or credential, but we've got to move that 50% way on up the chart.
1: Uh, 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 Jason reminded me, uh, our producer reminded me to ask you about
2: what is Rural Day? Rural Day is our uh, Statewide Advocacy Day, so uh, we just talked about our three top priorities of broadband, closing the coverage gap, and small business development. We do, like a number of other organizations do, we do a Statewide Advocacy Day that's really focused on putting rural North Carolina's best foot forward in front of state leadership. So on um, Tuesday, March 26, we will be hosting at the Raleigh Convention Center our third annual rural day. And we expect we will have 500 or so uh, uh, rural leaders from all across the state of North Carolina that will come together with our governor, our lieutenant governor, our, the leaders of the North Carolina General Assembly both on both sides of the aisle. Uh, to really have intent it'll give uh, local people a chance to interact with their state legislators in their environment and talk about the priorities back home and we really want to try to move the needle on that day Uh, We are very blessed this year that we're going to have a couple of national-level guests uh, that are coming in to join us on the broadband issue. We will have a former FCC commissioner, Mignon Clyburn, uh, who is uh, out of South Carolina, who has been one of the foremost rural broadband advocates in in the country. that will be speaking to our group. Um, And uh, we also are are extremely honored and pleased that we're going to have Governor John Kasich, the former governor of, of Ohio, uh, that will be talking in particular about the way in which uh, he, as governor, uh, championed the expansion of Medicaid and the, the impact that that has had um, on uh, the rural economy in his state and the and the. Uh, uh, end result of also helping solve that opioid epidemic problem.
1: Well, that sounds like a great day, and I think it, uh, it sounds like a fascinating agenda. Patrick Woody has been our guest. He's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he promises me he'll have another interesting guest again next week on the same group of stations.